Well, I want to say hello. Um, As Pastor David has uh, shared, my name is Justin, and um, uh, I grew up in Virginia. Um, I think there's a picture of my family that I want to show you just because my family sends greetings, and uh, they're praying for uh, you and for me this morning. Uh, My wife is from Virginia Beach, Virginia, and her name is Virginia. And so if you forget her name, shame on you, and, uh, because her name should be easy to remember. I've got three kids. Uh, my daughter Tabitha is nine. My son Barnabas is seven. And then my youngest Maximus, that's his name, is uh, two now. And so uh, we're very thankful. And I traveled here from the country of Irvine. I did not know that this was this far away, but, uh, um, but my church Bethel in Irvine sends greetings and, and uh we have a prayer ministry team there praying for you and for me this morning as well. And um, it's a, a pleasure and an honor to be here. It really is. And uh, Pastor Michael and Pastor David are dear, dear friends of mine. Uh, I just, not, you know, they're not just ministry partners in the work of uh, gospel expansion, but uh, uh, I see them as not just dear friends as well, but they're my brothers in Christ. And uh, it is an incredible uh, privilege, and I'm so humbled Uh, to be here this morning to share the word with you. Uh, I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of James, chapter 5. I want to get right into the word. Um, And I uh, I want us to read James, chapter 5, verses 7 to 12. And this is uh, a section that I've been meditating on. And actually, this message was born out of Um, Just me looking at my own heart uh, through a time of reflection and self-evaluation, looking at myself, if if you will, in the mirror, and just asking God, I want to grow in certain areas of my life. And from a personal study, it became more of a a message. Uh, I've never preached this. Uh, This is one of the options that Pastor Michael and I talked about, and he felt like this would be a good text for us this morning. In James chapter 5, verse 7 to 12 says this, be patient, therefore, brothers, Until the coming of the Lord, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now, when someone gives his or her life to Jesus Christ, when you accept the gospel into your life and you become a child of God, what happens naturally should be that you should grow, you should should be transformed from the inside out, that little by little bit, you're not the person that you were before, that you're changing uh, over time. And some of the ways that we can kind of identify the changes that's happening in our lives, uh, we call it fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. Is there a fruit that's growing in your life? And, and so um, the fruit of the Spirit is a term that the Bible uses for a set of characters, characters' traits in your lives. 
And so the most famous list is found in Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, and patience. Patience. Now, patience is a character trait that we want to look at this morning because we live in a culture that I think doesn't value uh, patience very much. It's almost a culture of impatience. For example, if you have a computer that powers up five seconds and another computer comes along later on and does all the same functions but powers up in two seconds, you realize that the first computer will probably go out of business you know, pretty soon. Or if a company can get you something in three days, delivery, but another company comes along that can get you in two days, the first company will go out of business. And so in a sense, even the economy cultivates and encourages impatience. And most people, if you are like me, we don't like to wait. I know of a friend uh, who, you know, is so impatient, always in a hurry, that when you come to an escalator, he's like running up (laughs) when there's no need to. And it sort of defeats the purpose because the point is it's supposed to do the work for you, but he's so impatient that he just runs up and down the escalators. And so uh, I'm I'm praying for this brother. And so... um, (laughs) And, I, there, and just even in my own life, I've been impatient with my own kids. I've been impatient with myself. And I've been impatient even as a pastor uh, in the lives of our people. When I look at the people in my, uh, in my church, uh, in my church members, I get impatient with them because I don't see the things that should be happening in, in their lives maybe faster. Or, you know, uh, I'm just impatient with them because of, you know, their attitudes or whatnot. But it's easy for us to see that we live in a culture of impatience. We live in a culture that doesn't value patience. And I believe this passage today tells us about how we can get patience. And just two simple things for you to consider. Number one, I want you to consider what is the definition of patience from what this passage gives to us? What is, the, what is patience overall? And what, you, what I want you to see is that this passage basically divides into two small parts. Verses 7 through 9, it uses the illustration of a farmer. Farmers show patience because they plant and they don't expect harvest right away. They plant and then they, they learn to wait. They learn to wait. It's an example of patience. And then the Greek word used in verses 7, 8, and 9, it literally means the word, another way of saying it is, long-suffering. To be patient is to be full of long-suffering. An example of the opposite of long-suffering or the lack of patience is mentioned in verse 9 with the word grumbling. Verse 9 says, do not grumble against one another. So in other words, grumbling is a lack of patience. And so we are encouraged to not grumble, to not grumble against other people. And so when people are frustrating you, when people are disappointing you and you are just annoyed with people around you, how do you respond? You grumble. Grumbling is responding to the people who disappoint and frustrate you with now what you have is negativity, bitterness, resentment, cynicism. So these are the things that maybe is not, you know, you don't maybe show it externally. And that's why here, James is talking about how in the heart, cardia, in the heart, this is where it's happening, right? So when someone's annoying you, you're finding impatience with somebody around you, 
right? Maybe, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your child, somebody in the church, and you are just filled with impatience. You're grumbling. A lot of times, you know, because of our image-conscious mentality, we don't show our grumbling. We're like, oh, yeah. But inside, you're like, I hate you. I am so annoyed with you. Get away from me, right? And so there's grumbling that's happening in the heart. And, and so, uh, and, and we're called not to do that, though. We're encouraged not to grumble. Why is grumbling a lack of patience? Because one reason, what I think the Bible wants us to see, there's patience in two different ways. There's patience with difficult people, and then there's patience that we need to develop in difficult uh, situations or circumstances in life. But one reason, uh, grumbling, uh, one reason is grumbling means that you, you've given up on people. You've given up on people. And instead of continuing to love them, and care for them even when they frustrate you, even when they uh, fill you with uh, just headache and heartache, you know, instead of being patient and continuing to love and care for them, you give up on them. It means because of the way in which a person has frustrated you or disappointed you, you give up on them, you stop caring. You're not long-suffering with them. You're not sticking with them. You are grumpy uh, about them. In other words, it's a lack of love. And that's why impatience is wrong. But there's more about impatience because the second paragraph shows us another definition or another picture, another aspect of patience. Consider verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. This is a different example. He says in verse 11, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast, who have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and he's merciful. So Job's example here, and not the farmer, but this not, is Job. And if you know anything about Job, if, you, if this is you know, your first time in the, uh, in the church, Job is a, a Bible character whose problems were not so much about how he was being treated by other people, uh, his problem was how he was being treated by life and by God. So he didn't experience difficult people as much as terrible circumstances. So one disaster after another, he lost his wealth, he lost his health, he lost his children, and, he, he, and Job is crying out to God. Job's patience, his patience is a word here, uh, perseverance. Or in the Bible here, it's steadfastness. So you've got long-suffering, dealing with people who are difficult people, and then perseverance or being steadfast in dealing with difficult circumstances in your life, right? And it says, behold, we consider those who blessed, those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the perseverance or steadfastness of Job. You've seen the purposes of God, of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The Greek word here for patience is perseverance, is steadfastness. Literally, the word means to hyperstand in place, that you don't ever move from that place. And let me give you an example. If it would be like being in a battle and your commanding officer says to you, you stand right there. And you occupy this position. And no matter what, at all costs, do not move from this place. No matter what, no matter what they throw at you or how fierce the, the attack is, you cannot retreat. 
You cannot give ground. You cannot even lose a step because if the enemy gets past you, everything is lost. Everything is lost. The town is lost. The people is lost. The army is lost. I think about the movie with Tom Hanks saving Private Ryan where at the Battle of Rommel at the very end of the movie, uh, there was a fierce battle fought by, by the Americans and the German soldiers in the, in the town of Rommel, and they had to uh, stay there to protect that bridge, right? And at all costs, they had to stay there. I think of that, sort of that scene. You have to stand there, fight, and not give in no matter what. This is what it means to hyperstand. And, and, and so in dealing with patient in dealing with difficult circumstances, we're called to be patient, to persevere, to be steadfast. In other words, to hyperstand even in difficult circumstances because when circumstances are terribly disappointing, infuriating, life goes wrong, patience is to unflinchingly, no matter what, right, to live the way you had ought to live, to do the things you ought to do and to be the person that you ought to be anyway and you stick by your convictions instead of giving in, giving up, losing hope, becoming full of despair and, and, and turning your back on God. You stick to what you know is true from your biblical principles. It's the hyper step, to stay put. It's to not give up. And so the two aspects of patience according to the book of James are Patience with difficult people, responding to difficult people with forgiveness and grace, and patience with difficult circumstances and the will of God, responding with, when circumstances are difficult with courage and trust, with courage and trust. See, why does the Bible make this a big deal? Because at first glance, I, I looked at this and I, I came across in my just Bible reading um, you know, time with the Lord and I came across, and I love the book of James because the whole book of James, the context of it is that it's talking about authentic faith. Do you have genuine faith? Because a lot of people would say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Well, James would say, well, show me that you're a Christian. Show me by the fruit. Show me by the work that, is, that you do in your life, that work that comes after genuine faith, not work that precedes faith, not work that says, I'm doing all of this work. I'm not going to go up there to Sunland to do homeless or to feed these people because somehow I want to earn God's favor somehow so that God can really like me more so that I've done enough to say that now you've, you are ready to be my child. No, that, that actually is not how you receive grace. It's first understanding that we are sinful, that we are completely lost in the, in the blind. We are, we are in the darkness. By God's grace and mercy, he set us free. By his grace and mercy, he has now opened up our eyes. He's taken us from darkness into his marvelous light, right? And then now out of that, out of deep conviction, to the degree that the gospel and the goodness of Jesus Christ has penetrated your heart and your mind and you're transformed from the inside out, you cannot help. Now you're compelled. Now you're convicted out of love. You want to do these things, work in your life. Work uh, the things uh, for the glory of God. To do work for the kingdom of God because of love. Fruit is born, right? You take action because you can't help it now. And so uh, it's talking about authentic faith. James is talking about, authentic, do you have genuine faith? Because just because you come to church doesn't mean you're real Christians. Just like because you, it doesn't mean that you, just because you go into the garage doesn't make you a car, right? And, and so there are a lot of people who are the visible church and the invisible church. 
This is the visible, this is the visible church. You are bodies, you are people in this church. I see you, you're visible. But God sees the invisible church, meaning they're the authentic people who have really died to themselves, have really embraced the good news that they were hopeless and lost without the light of Christ in their lives. And so he's saying this is what an authentic Christian looks like. And one of the things he's talking about is an authentic Christian, a genuine Christian, is someone who is growing and developing in patience, in dealing with difficult people, as well as dealing with difficult circumstances in your life. Now, this is relevant to all of us because you may be sitting here and say, uh, Pastor Justin Timber- Kimberlake, um, <laughs> people at my church call me Kimberlake because uh, I am a prolific dancer, and, and so, but uh, I don't have time for this. Um, but they say, you may say, oh, I, I, don't, I don't need to thank you, but no thank you because I have plenty of patience, right? You know, it's, uh, I don't need it. But the fact of the matter is, chances are when you take a moment to examine your hearts, we all need to grow in this area. We all have people in our lives that we want to punch the wall. And, there, and we all find ourselves, if you're not in it now, you've been in it or a time is coming where you will find yourself in a difficult circumstance. And so we all need to grow in patience. But I think the reason why this is even a bigger deal and this is what shocked me is because the Bible depicts impatience as a terrible evil and sin. Because if you look at verse 9, it says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be, and we, we don't like, the modern world doesn't like this word, judged. Behold, the judge, the judge, is standing at the door. See, he brings in judgment day. He says we'll be condemned for our impatience. Yes, condemned and judged for impatience. And here's why it's so serious, because every single day, in fact, almost every hour, I would say, you're going to meet frustrating, disappointing, disillusioning, infuriating people and circumstances. You're going to be very frustrated, disappointed every day with something or with someone. And sometimes it happens not only every day, but every hour. (laughs) And when that happens, you have to respond in your heart. And there's only two ways to respond when when disappointments happen. Either you can trust God or you can trust yourself. You can respond to the difficulty by either by trusting God or trusting yourself. The first way you can respond is you can trust God. Bad things happen to you, but here's what you need to say. You have to say this. The Lord knows. The Lord is wise. He's good. I would never have chosen this for myself, but, but he has for whatever reasons. And he knows what he's doing. He's sovereign. He's providential. He knows all things, and I don't. Impatience is a huge lack of humility. You need to humble yourself and say, I do not know, but God knows. God is God. I'm not. I'm going to find uh, rest nowhere but in his will. That will is infinitely, immeasurably, unspeakably beyond my largest notions of what he's up to. And if you can say this and speak this into your heart like that, I believe that's when you will get peace and rest and calm. 
The other thing you can do when bad things happen is you can trust your own wisdom. You can trust yourself. Instead of trusting God and his wisdom, you can trust what you think should happen and what you think everybody deserves. You can trust your wisdom and yourself rather than God. But if you learn to be patient and trust God, it eventually leads to, I believe, rest, peace, calmness, ability to forgive. You're a lot more gracious. You're able to be steadfast, be full of long-suffering. And if you give in to self-trust, you become eaten up with resentment, self-pity, cynicism, anxiety, restlessness, ulcers, heart attacks, and so on and so forth. So that's the definition of what I see is patience. Let me end with this, the development of patience. So how do you develop? How do you grow in this character, in this fruit in our lives? How do you develop patience? I think first you need to meditate on Jesus and what he's done for us in the past. Jesus and what he's, he's our ultimate judge. And as such, he has power and control and authority. But more than that, he is, well, look at what he's done in the past. If you want to see how patience is developed, we have to look to the cross and, and meditate deeply on, on Jesus. So, for example, the Bible gives us an example of Job. You look at Job, but you also look at the ultimate, the better Job, the one whom Job points to, and that will be Jesus who is the better Job. And he's, he's our ultimate example, you see, because Job suffered. And even though, you know, he was a righteous man, but he wasn't fully innocent because no man was fully righteous except for Jesus Christ. So only Jesus Christ is a true Job because Jesus and Jesus alone is the only absolute, uh, perfect, innocent sufferer. No one suffered like this man. Jesus on the cross died a thousand deaths, and yet he was completely innocent. There's a reason why the Bible calls him in various places. He's sinless, perfect, righteous, the, the unblemished lamb of God, innocent sufferer. Only Jesus lived a perfect life. He was only totally innocent. Only Jesus loved the Lord with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Only Jesus loved his neighbor as himself fully and perfectly. All of us fall short in all of those categories. And so only Jesus deserved a great life, but what did he get? He got a terrible life. He took our punishment and became sin for us. He died the horrible death that we deserved. So he was misunderstood. He was poor. He was rejected. He was betrayed. He was denied. And finally, he was arrested on false charges. He was tortured and he was killed and murdered. But through all of that agony and pain, he was perfectly patient. The Bible speaks about how even on the cross, he could have called upon legions of angels and he could have ended that suffering. He could have ended that road to Golgotha at any time of the... But he was perfectly patient. He was the only innocent sufferer. Jesus is the only true Job who really deserved a great life and got a terrible life. And during that whole time, he was perfectly and absolutely patient. You might say all the forces of darkness and evil and hell were coming down on him because of us, and he stood his ground. He hyperstood. It's almost like he knew we were behind him. And if the darkness and evil got past him, we would have been lost forever. So he obeyed. So he obeyed. He said, Not my will, but yours be done. There's patience. He stood his grind, ground. 
hyperstanding. He went to the cross, obeyed his father on the cross. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is not, by the way, a defiant complaint. This is just the agony of lost love. Why did he do it? Why was he perfectly patient? You see, when Jesus went to the cross, he died for our sins and took the punishment we deserve. That's the the general, right? But let me give it to you in more specific terms. Jesus Christ, through his perfect patience, atoned for our impatience, for our sins, so that the Father can be endlessly patient with us, never giving up on us, letting us down, and pulling uh, back from us even when we fail him. You talk about long-suffering. You talk about long-suffering. I love that word. I, I say it now a lot to my kids. You make me full of long, you fill me with long-suffering to my two-year-old son. No, you know, he's like, what? Yeah, so. But that's what the father did. You talk about long-suffering. Look at Jesus Christ. Talk about holding his ground even when all the forces of darkness were coming down. You take that and you go deep into that. You meditate on that. You trust in that. When troubles are happening to you, you think about this. Jesus Christ was perfectly patient. He did it for me and for you so that we could be patient in these situations for him. If you see Jesus saving you through his infinite patience and undeserved suffering, the true and ultimate Job, and that through his perfect patience, atone for your impatience so that God can be infinitely patient with you to the end, no matter how you live, even when you fall down, even when you fall, even when you're not, in, even when you're not patient, no matter how you live, even when you fall down, he will be patient with you because Jesus did that. If you meditate on that, you will grow, I believe, in being patient, not just with people, but also in difficult situations and terrible circumstances. Look at Jesus trusting God under infinite pressure for you, and that will make it possible for you to trust Jesus when you're under that difficult pressure. And lastly, finally, meditate on what he's going to do in the future. This is how you develop patience. You look at the past of what Jesus has done for you, you look at Jesus and what he would do for you. Here's how you develop patience even more. When troubles happen, you meditate and pray. Meditate, first of all, on what Jesus did in the past, but lastly, on what he's going to do in the future because he's coming again. It's a biblical truth. Be patient because the Lord is coming. That's an encouragement because we know how it ends. As a college student, uh, I majored in, uh, in English, and I m- majored in uh, 17th, 18th century British literature, and, uh, and I had to just read a lot. And, and, and in college, I really fell in love with reading. I love novels, but I like to read the, end, the last chapter before the first. I know people get mad. Purists, you know, people who are like writers, they get so mad at me. I said, I don't care. And so um, I don't know why I do it, but it's just because I think I, I can't handle the suspense and I get too curious. And, and so like I read through The Hunger Games like in three days. I just loved it. And um, I didn't even watch the movie until I read the books first. And, but I, each one of those three parts, I read the ending first. And, uh, and so when there's trouble in the middle, I was, no problem. These guys, he's going to die, he's going to die, she's going to survive. And so I know it takes a fun, and people have gotten mad at me, but, you know, I don't care. And so, um, and, and so some people have said, like, even my wife thinks, that's terrible, you know? Like, they, they, these writers craft these narratives. I was like, honey, 
okay, don't bother me, okay? I, this is the way I like to read. And so, like, uh, people think I'm crazy because no one at my church, but I am a, a, an avid, I love hockey, okay? Yeah. I'm a, I, yes, I'm a hockey fan. I grew up in Washington, D.C. area in Virginia. I love the Washington Capitals. The Kings are cool, the Ducks are cooler, and the Capitals are the coolest of all, right? And so the Washington Capitals, uh, if you don't know, if you don't give a rip about hockey, just bear with me. I'm a guest speaker, so you got to give me grace. <laughs> if you don't know, but they've just won in their first time in their history. In 43 years of history, they've won their first championship, the Lord Stanley Cup. And it was amazing. <laughs> this is my favorite player, his Russian guy, Alex Ovechkin. He's raising the Stanley Cup. I believe this is the greatest sport on earth, better than NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball. Hockey is an incredible sport. And uh, it's the hardest, the hardest championship to win. But I was on a mission trip uh, during the Stanley Cup finals. The Capitals were playing against Vegas Golden Knights and, and games four and five, they were up, you know, games four and five. When I left for my mission trip to Hiroshima, Japan, they were up two games to one. And I was in Japan, and I want to acknowledge, I, confide, I already said this to my teammates, I was really distracted. <laughs> and so during ministry times, uh, when I would like, I couldn't watch the games, right? But I was constantly updating my phone, you know, seeing the score, and, you know, Pastor Justin, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but I was watching the score, and I missed games four and five. They won game four, they won three games, and then game five, they won it to win the whole thing. So I missed the whole, I couldn't watch the game but I, I saw that they won, and I was celebrating in Hiroshima uh, when the team won. I literally was tearful. I've had to confess that maybe this has become an idol in my life. But, um, so I came back home, and I watched games four and five. I recorded it, and I watched games four and five in its full and entirety. Like, I just watched the whole game. And just to relive, you know, all of it, you know, and just was so exciting. But here's the point. You know where I'm going. Like when the, when the Vegas Golden Knights would score a goal, when the game was like, you're not sure how the outcome would be, even when the Capitals came, was down in some of those games, I, I was completely at peace. <laughs> I was like, you know, whatever, you know, and so, because I already knew the full outcome. I could withstand the difficulty and the tension in the middle of the games because I already had peace regarding the outcome and the ending. And I think... God does it too. He gives us the ending. He says he's coming back to heal the whole world. He's going to resurrect you from the dead and make everything right. If you trust in Christ, all the deepest desires of your heart will be fulfilled on that day in glory. Every injustice will be put to right. Everything broken will be healed. Everything lost will be found. When you consider the past and what Jesus has done and you consider the future and what Jesus will do, He's the judge. And, there's a, and when, when there's a difficult person or a difficult situation, you can grow and be patient, knowing how things will all end. He tells you the ending of the novel and the story so that you can handle the suspense in the middle. Yeah, it's tough and difficult. You've got stuff. Some of you have some difficult people. Don't look around you, okay? <laughs> difficult marriages, difficult relatives, difficult children, difficult parents, difficult friends, difficult pastors, diff difficult people. And some of you guys are in some difficult situations. I don't want to minimize that. There are people in my church that are just in the deepest valleys of life, major hurricane storm in their life, and I weep with them. 
But it's tough, difficult, but you know in the end, justice will be done and you will be fulfilled. That's the reason why he says, be patient because the Lord is coming. I think that's my sign to end. Let me close in prayer. (laughs) Father, we thank you for your word. Jesus, we thank you that you are incredibly patient with us. You went to the cross for us. I can't even imagine, Lord, just how impatient uh, we are and how patient you are, God, and yet look upon, looking upon our sins and um, you still obeyed and went to the cross. But we know, Lord God, that through your perfect life and through your horrible death and through your resurrection and your ascension into glory, that we have newness of life. We're made new creatures. Help us to grow as your people, Lord. And maybe there's some people in this room that have never accepted you into their lives as their Lord and Savior. Maybe this is their first time. Maybe this environment's totally new. They don't know the songs. And I pray that you would speak to them, that you would reveal yourself, and that you would show them that you are a beautiful Savior that you're the hero of all heroes for God. And for those of us who are your children and here who have given our lives to you through faith, Lord, we would all acknowledge that this is an area of need that we all need to grow. It's irrelevant because we all struggle with impatience, whether it's with people or in circumstances. Help us for God to just to grow in this area as we meditate all the more deeply on you, Jesus, on the past of what you've done for us and into the future of what you will do for us. Jesus, you're the answer and you're the one that we look at. But even in moments when we are impatient and we sin and we lash out at people and even people that we love, even in that moment of impatience when in difficult circumstances we we stray away and we forget our convictions. Even in those moments for God, remind us that you are a God of grace and forgiveness. You are incredibly patient with us. May that itself draw us back to you and be knowing that we're embraced by you, that your love covers over our mistakes. Help us all the more fall more madly in love with you and out of love and conviction and just being compelled by this, Lord God, that we would now move out and do incredible work in ministry, not because we have to, but because we get to, because we want to. We want to respond in living a life that glorifies your name and that shows the beauty of who you are and what you've done. May you continually work in our hearts and our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.